Welcome to AACS Today, the official podcast of the American Association of Christian Schools. Thank you for joining us on this episode of AACS Today. I'm Matt Tiskus, Regional Director for the AACS, and on today's podcast, I'm joined by AACS Legislative Director Jameson Coppola, who's going to be giving us updates on a few things. Uh, first, on the CARES Act, as well as some equitable services updates for your school. And then plus, uh, Jameson's going to share what his team is hearing in D.C. to kind of give you some behind-the-scenes information. So should be very profitable. With the podcast, our hope is to tackle some of the big questions you're asking as a school leader as we seek to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic together. And that word together is key. Let's lean on each other as Christian school leaders and teachers in these days. Of course, our hope and trust is in the Lord and in his work. And as we are thinking about the resurrection, uh, especially this week as we prepare for Easter, our hope is in Christ and in the resurrection. But we have a community of incredible professionals from which we can draw ideas and just be a blessing and encouragement to one another. We want to see your school thrive. Now, right now, you might be feeling like you're in survival mode, but know this, that's okay. We want to walk through this together and help you thrive. So that's where we're headed. Jameson, thanks for joining us back on the podcast. Always good to have you. Don't forget, I have given you the official title of co-host. Deeply honored and uh, have already updated my LinkedIn profile to uh, add that to my CV. Yep, you're already getting uh, requests for more interviews and more podcast opportunities. So congratulations. But um, hey, it's important for our schools to stay up to speed on what's happening legislatively. And my, are things happening quickly? Are they not, Jameson? Yeah, uh, things continue to happen, happen quickly as a response to the COVID crisis. And uh, I don't think there's much else going on uh, behind the scenes except, um, you know, for for our folks, like how will uh, upcoming legislation and such that is being talked about impact our schools. So today I think we've got some updates on uh, as legislation and regulation primarily now from the CARES Act goes forward, how will those changes impact our schools? And then uh, maybe a little preview ahead to what is on the horizon. Yeah. So let's dive in then to the CARES Act, uh, some updates on implementation And uh, now in our last podcast, you had recommended that ministries not use the uh, Paycheck Protection Program uh, for expenses related to property, even though mortgage interest and rent payments are allowed under the forgiveness guidelines. Now, is that still the case? Is that still what you're recommending? Yeah, and that really came about as, we've said this a couple of times now, um, forgive me if it's repetitive, but the federal government wanted to get money out quickly. And so they used an an existing structure, the Small Business Administration, and an already accepted way of conducting uh, um, um, financial helps, incentives to small businesses through the SBA. But what they did for the first time is they included nonprofits and religious nonprofits in that. And so I think we used this analogy last time, because there was an existing structure that made some changes to the recipients, what happened is it drug all of those regulations that were typically attached to to for-profit lending, and it implicated now nonprofits. 
and specifically nonprofits that have religious liberty um, concerns. And so one of the things that as people are starting to look at how the, the, the law and the regulations interact with other federal law and existing SBA regulations, it's concerning and there's an open question whether or not if you use the funding, uh, we've already said you, you do become considered a recipient of federal financial assistance. Right. Well, if you use that money to pay the mortgage interest, although it's allowed under the CARES Act, or your uh, rent payment on a lease, do you then attach the federal financial assistance to the term of that mortgage or the term of that lease? Yeah, so if you have 15 years left, you're, you're on the hook basically for 15 years of being under those guidelines. That's what you're suggesting. Potentially, right? right? Because it's still an unknown question about how that might be applied because the federal government did take an interest in that mortgage or right. in that loan by providing funding. And then, um, you know, if it turns into a grant uh, through the forgiveness provision, um, does the federal government's interest, though, outlast the forgiveness of that or, or the, because it was part of that long term obligation for the ministry? Right, and, and so, so there, therein lies the recommendation, hey, use it 100% for payroll expenses. Correct, and the, the portion of it that could be used for um, those expenses was only 25%. So you're talking about a small uh, dollar value benefit for, a potential, expo- for a, you know, a potential exposure to a risk that would outlast the term of the loan or the forgiveness evening, depending on how long the mortgage or the lease was. Yeah. So um, we're also hearing some things too, Jameson. I think how banks are starting to uh, limit loans to existing customers and prioritizing larger customers. So what what is it that you're hearing related to that? Yeah. And so it, I would be curious to know, and Matt, I don't know if we provide a contact email or anything, but I'd be curious to know the experience our ministries are having. If they're choosing to participate what obstacles are they encountering? How are they finding the process itself? Because we literally are in, I would say, hourly communication with administration officials and uh, officials in the SBA and other um, uh, other parts of the departments that are handling this labor and such. And so the experience that our people are having will be important to give feedback. But what we're hearing is that uh, the money went very quickly. Uh, I was on a conference call today, and the president briefed faith leaders, and, and his number was they've already processed 200,000 loans. Wow. And we, we're we hearing that banks are, are already at their cap. I, I know Wells Fargo is at their cap, and they've already begun a process of asking for an expansion to the, how much they can give. We've heard that banks are prioritizing their larger customers or only lending to customers that are already existing. Right. And so if our ministries are trying to participate in the program and encountering some of those things, then we would be curious, you know. And that's important because uh, there's already discussion about, um, you know, plussing up, I think is the DC term I've heard used, (laughs) the amount of money that the SBA can lend through these banks. Uh, we're, we're hearing that $250 billion is going to be the next funding level. And uh, that may be passed in unanimous consent. We may not have any opportunity to um, 
for instance, have a statement from the Senate and the House saying that recipients, nonprofit or religious recipients, are not considered recipients of federal funds. We've been pressing for that language explicitly. But if it passes very quickly on unanimous consent and that increased funding goes through, we may not have the opportunity to add anything to it. And that's pretty typical. If you want to get something through quickly, both sides usually agree not to modify or, or mm. amend it and just put it through as it is. So uh, today might be the last day we have opportunity. We've already made our voices clear, but again, who knows how many more uh, versions or renditions of uh, these expanded funding bills may go through. So we're continuing to have a voice. If we hear from you all about what you're encountering, uh, that would be Great. Yeah. And we will be happy to put a contact email in the show notes uh, where you'll be able to just click on that and, and shoot us an email and let us know. Of course, as we sit here recording this on uh, April 8th, um, things change. So uh, the sooner that you hear this and, and have an experience to share with us, please, uh, please do it quickly because that would certainly be helpful for us as uh, Jameson and the team there in D.C. continues. Um, along those same lines, Jameson, um, it sounds like there's still some questions around calculating payroll uh, when a ministry pays a clergy housing allowance. So yeah. what... Yeah, we, we haven't found a good answer on that yet. Um, okay. I would be interesting to hear what banks are saying. So, you know, there's a formula in the CARES Act that lets a ministry calculate two and a half times... Um, their their payroll and then submit that as the amount they're requesting in their their loan, but a question has come up from many ministries. Well, is housing allowance calculated as part of payroll? And we don't have a clear answer on that yet. Again, this is one of those things that's unique to ministries, to faith based ministries, right? Um, um, and and nonprofits, this the clergy housing allowance. And it wasn't addressed in the regulations, and it wasn't addressed in the, in the legislation or the regulations so far as we know. So we're look, still looking for an answer on that. would be interested to hear from our ministries uh, how they're encountering that. And then the other thing that came up, you know, as just kind of the nuanced um, questions that are happening is um, the, the SBA and any – I think the regulation extends probably to anybody that's a recipient of federal financial aid – if the amount is greater than $750,000, um, then the um, then the law, the federal law requires a, a single audit of the organization. And of course, that is reasonable when you think about the fact that uh, with, with money should come accountability and you don't want the money being distributed to organizations that are um, – not operating according to good financial practice right. or in some way fraudulent. And so if I don't know that any of our ministries would qualify for a loan that big. I mean, I think your payroll for the year would have to be something on the order of uh, greater than $3.6 million. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we have a ministry uh, that sizable, but if we did and their, their loan was uh, under this uh, payroll protection provision was greater than $750,000, then they would then become subject to the requirement to have a single audit. Okay. And, and I think we're going to continue to have questions and pieces like this come up as we kind of dig into the nitty gritty of the details of this, of this law. Um, and of course we'll continue to communicate with our ministries and our schools uh, about this, 
but um, I think that gives us uh, some good updates. So please reach out to us and let us know the experience that you're having with uh, your banks as you're seeking uh, the loans. If, if, if you are in fact seeking the loans. And again, um, we just put a caveat in here that we're, we're here to provide information about the programs that are available. We're not necessarily recommending that you do or you don't. Um, but we, I don't think we'd be doing our job if we didn't help you uh, understand uh, what was in these laws and kind of, and what's attached to them. So uh, hopefully, hopefully that makes sense. And hopefully Jameson, I said that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that's correct. As, as we move along and as these things develop, our, our goal is to provide protection to ministries that participate or don't participate. We, we want um, ministries to be treated equitably, no matter what their decision. And we don't want their independence or their ability to make those decisions. Yeah. So the feedback really helps us as we interact with the people that are making the law and the regulation to make sure we're giving them uh, real time feedback and information on how these things are affecting our ministries. Okay. Well, let's change gears just a little bit, thinking about equitable services. So uh, like the federal government is using uh, the SBA, the Small Business Administration, to distribute funds to businesses and nonprofits, there are two relief funds that are available for schools as part of the CARES Act that are specifically educationally focused. Uh, One is the Governor's Emergency Education Relief Fund. Uh, wow, that's a mouthful. But Jameson, tell us what we need to know uh, about this uh, first relief fund. Yeah, so the CARES Act provides two um, streams of funding that apply to education institutions. And you mentioned the first one, the Governor's Emergency Education Relief Fund. And that grants governors money to distribute to schools, educational institutions, even higher ed in their state that have been um, significantly impacted by the coronavirus. And, and obviously their ability then is, is hampered or hurt in providing the educational services that they do. So the, the funds can be used at the discretion of the governor to provide support to the local education agency, again, higher education, or, or this is the actual text, education related to, or any education related entity within the state that the governor deems essential for carrying out emergency educational services to children. And so the provision also includes child care and early childhood education, as well as social and emotional support, and for the protection of education-related jobs. So it's a pretty broad net that certainly encompasses private schools. And so our encouragement to you is if you've not yet made contact with the governor's office, you should. Um, it's good to to have the relationship with those people that are in authority over us anyways. But this really does provide an opportunity again to say, listen, we're doing good work in education. We're educating the, the students in our state. Here are some things that we're struggling with um, in providing that education, technology services, other things. We understand that the CARES Act provides some funding to take care of education within the state. And we're interested in, in learning how we might qualify to participate in that. So that's kind of the first segment of what the CARES Act provided, that Governor's Emergency Education Fund. And then uh, additionally, they have increased the number of categories of items that 
the elementary and secondary school emergency fund can provide for. And that's, again, another one of these mechanisms like the Small Business Administration, equitable services is another one of those uh, already um, standing federal programs administered through the Department of Education and then down to the local education authorities. So it's an already existing program whereby um, private schools can participate. And so they've expanded the number of opportunities for private school participation to, I think, 12 categories. Mm -hmm. And so our advice has been uh, and continues to be connect with your local education authority. Um, Do an audit of what you think the needs are. Uh, For for instance, you know, we say they expanded um, what the funds can be used for. Um, Our schools may already be familiar with providing services with students with disabilities under the IDEA or providing uh, training and professional development for teachers. Um, But um, there's also provision in the CARES Act for now for schools to purchase supplies to sanitize and clean their facility. Um, There's funding for planning and coordinating long-term closures, including how to provide technology and online learning to students. There's, there's categories for purchasing educational technology, hardware, software, connectivity, mental health, and services. So an expanded list of what are called equitable services that will be spent uh, on education within a state at the discretion of the local education authority. So, again, we encourage you to make contact with that LEA you know, you might say something like, hey, we've done an assessment of our needs at the school. We've looked at the law. These are the things where we think the law can be spent on. So we have an assessment here. And we're looking forward to hearing from you about the meaningful consultation. Uh, that's that's the, the terminology right. that they'll be familiar with. The meaningful con, uh, consultation to identify how we might qualify for the expanded funding, the, the helps under the CARES Act. Yeah, and you said a moment ago, you said audit, but you were talking about, and I think you just clarified it, you said an assessment of needs. So the LEA, if you've not been through this process before, will will kind of help you uh, walk through and understand some of the the, the jargon that they use because it can be a, a little bit um, confusing, maybe a little overwhelming for someone that doesn't live in that world. And these folks are used to living in that world all the time. So the audit is a really an, ass- an assessment of your needs is kind of what, Matt, what, what you're Matt, saying. The, the truth of it is this is confusing for people that do live in this world. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, never underestimate the ability of government and education people to make up terminology. So, yes. uh, but yeah, it's really an assessment. I use the word audit, but not in a technical sense. I mean, right. Look at the bill and then assess where in your ministry you have these needs and see if the language of the bill addresses um, provisions for those needs. If you have that in hand when you go to the LEA, it makes it a lot easier to have a conversation um, to say, hey, this is where I think I qualify. And what is the plan that the LEA has for equitably sharing these funds with the private school community? This is where I have needs. Yeah, and each state, and we have mentioned this in previous in a previous episode, but each state does have an ombudsman who, if you're having difficulty 
uh, with your LEA in your you know local district, the ombudsman is there to help work through some of those challenges. And Jamison, I know that we're just beginning to hear of difficulties getting LEAs to honor the law. So we really want to encourage our school leaders to be willing to advocate for themselves. You know, we don't want to be unkind in any way, but uh, we do need to be, you know, maybe we bring the text of the law with us and we may need to explain that, no, we, we can participate in some of these programs if, if we're receiving some pushback. Yeah, it's very true. We, uh, we have updated some of our um, advice on the equitable service portion of the CARES Act and the governor's fund. There's a separate white paper now. We pulled it out of kind of the, the broader white paper that we had. And one of the things we are recommending is that you at least find out who your state ombudsman is and make sure that you know that they are there to resolve any questions that come up between the local education administrator who is um, uh, responsible for distributing the funds and any questions the private school community has about how the funds are being shared in fairness and in equity. And then you also mentioned uh, bringing text of the law with you. And I think that's important too, because like we mentioned in the last podcast, a lot of people are learning about this at the same time we are. And so to have something in black and white and say this, you know, this is what the federal government is providing. This is the law. This is what our Congress has passed and our president has signed. And I'm just asking for information on how I might be able to participate in these programs. I think will help move the conversation along. Yeah. And I have found most of the folks that I've dealt with in, in that space have been uh, very helpful. Um, but I know that that's not always the case everywhere. So again, we want to encourage you along those lines. I'm not sure, Jamison, if we mentioned the actual relief fund name. This was the Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief Fund that had that added those 12 uh, categories of relief there. You may have mentioned that, and I, I may have just uh, missed that. But we did want to mention that uh, before we before we move along. So um, that's a little bit about the CARES Act. Super helpful. Because again, our, I know our leaders are, are in the middle of it. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to our school leaders who are trying to figure out what's, what's the best path forward on this bill. So that was really helpful. And uh, thank you for clarifying some of those things. But uh, Jameson, we, we love to hear kind of what, what's the latest that your team is hearing uh, in D.C., maybe not just about the CARES Act, uh, but with things changing so quickly, it's hard to stay up to date. And I know... Uh, you guys and gals are on the phone and on conference calls. It seems like just about uh, all day long. So tell us a little bit about what you're hearing in DC right now. Yeah. One of the privileges and the advantages that we have as, as in this position, in this work is that we get to hear from um, people on the front line of the decision-making in our federal government. And so, uh, for instance, today we were part of several meetings whereby we talked to Senator McConnell's um, policy advisors. Uh, There was a congressman on one of our our conference calls today. I was able to ask him directly a question about adding uh, religious liberty protections to this increased funding bill. And um, we were able to make sure that, for instance, Senator McConnell's staff and other senator staff and other uh, congressmen know um, that this is an important issue to our people. 
But one of the other things we get to do in those meetings is hear about what's happening politically, hear about uh, updates about um, kind of the behind the scenes uh, perspective and information related to what may be happening below the surface of some of these stories. And so, you know, I thought we'd share a few things about that that are just general. They're not necessarily related to education, but just maybe of interest to our people. I think some of the highlights are that the next two weeks are going to be really pivotal. Um, This is true in all political years and all election years, that the out-of-party, the out-of-power party looks for ways to make the current president and administration um, look like they're not doing their job. They, they focus on the things that they think they have an advantage over. And certainly this is a, a monumental crisis, unprecedented. You know, somebody said this is a hundred year crisis. Someone corrected them and said, this is a once in our country type crisis. Mm. Um, so obviously it's going to be a campaign issue. Um, how the president handles the crisis is going to be pivotal. People will make uh, assessments about him. They will uh, try to determine if he's still a fit president and if he should be reelected if he's earned it. And so I think that the next two weeks will probably be the most pivotal time for that. Um, I think many indicators indicate that um, our country and his leadership has been successful in navigating this. There, there's not many arguments that seem to stick, even though many are made. You'll probably see um, some nitpicking and minutia, but the truth of it is the, the numbers seem to be leveling off now. There hasn't been a shortage of uh, ventilators and other things. There's uh, some indication that some of the medications that have been recommended do work and are working. Um, so, uh, there, there will always be um, armchair quarterbacking and second guessing, but the question are, will ultimately be, did the American people think that in an unprecedented crisis, a once in a country's lifetime crisis, how did this administration handle it? I think most things are pointing to people being happy with the way it's been handled. Well, that is, uh, I think that wraps it up for today, Jameson. That was a good update on the CARES Act for us. Um, there's, a, there's a couple things that we want to be aware of and some of the new funds that are available uh, via some equitable services. Uh, so make sure that uh, you go with law in hand if necessary and um, take part in those things if your ministry desires to do so. Again, we want you to be equipped with the information that you need. And so hopefully this podcast, the ones that we've done and the others that we will do here in the future to keep you updated are helpful to that end. Jameson, any final words as we wrap up today? No, nope, uh, appreciate what you're doing. I think this hopefully is a really um, effective way for getting this information out. Hopefully people can listen while they're in their car or um, doing yard work or something like that so that they can hear what's happening here in DC and be benefited from the work of the American Association of Christian School schools and what we're trying to accomplish for Christian education. Absolutely. Well, that is this episode of AACS Today. Don't forget, if you get a chance, we would appreciate subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher. You can listen to us on Spotify, TuneIn, and soon enough, Pandora and iHeartRadio. If you can subscribe and uh, leave a little review, 
that helps share the news about uh, the podcast and we love for you to do that. So thank you for listening. Hope you have a great day and we'll catch you back soon on the next episode of AACS Today.